I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy, and they are true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. that uh, you have your Bible with you. And if you do, you can turn with me to Revelation chapter eight. And while you're doing that, I just wanna welcome uh, everyone that's here, but also those that are joining us on our Edgewood campus uh, here in this moment, as well as those that are uh, taking time to hang out with us online. We're grateful uh, that you're here. And we're continuing this series called Signs. Uh, Just really, we're taking a a systematic look uh, at the book of Revelation. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of doing a jet tour. And so we've kind of picked up steam a little bit today. We're going to look at two chapters, Revelation chapter 8 and 9. And uh, before we get there, let me just kind of give you an update. Maybe you're here for the very first time, or maybe you've missed a couple of weeks. You're like, uh, we are about to see some things today that you're like, oh, it's going to blow your mind. That's okay. Um, But let me just kind of catch you up to speed. So Revelation chapter 1, there's a guy named John. He's an apostle of Jesus. And he sees, I think, uh, what you could say, probably kind of a churchy word of sorts, but it's a beatific vision. He sees this beautiful vision of God. He sees God's throne. He sees God's power and his authority, his dominion over all the earth. Uh, He sees uh, this picture, this idea of who God is. And the idea is that he's in the the spirit of God in a way that uh, really no human that I've uh, ever seen or even biblically has ever been. And so you get this incredible picture in Revelation chapter two and three, uh, John is given this, uh, this, uh, incredible message as God gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the angel. Angel gives it to John. John gives it to the churches. Uh, and so you get this message to seven churches and, and messages like this, like, hey, stay awake. Hey, don't go to sleep. Don't forsake your first love. Don't uh, be lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. He wants in the church. And you get all these different messages to these seven churches. And that happens in chapters two and three. And then John chapter four, John is caught up to the heaven. I think 
personally, uh, as I shared a few weeks ago, that that's a picture of the rapture of the church. I think it's consistent uh, with uh, the book of Thessalonians as well. And the idea that the church is going to be taken out of the world, uh, that means that the spirit of God, which inhabits his people, is going to be taken out. And uh, if you can imagine uh, a world that we live in today, can you imagine if you took all the goodness of God out with the people of God through the church and how much more chaos would ensue? That's the idea. John is, uh, sees this, this idea of, uh, of who God is. In John chapter 4, he sees um, these four angelic beings. He sees elders that surround the throne. He, he, he sees and senses and hears worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In chapter five, uh, you got this incredible picture as John is there in chapter four and five. He's around the throne. He sees a lamb that was slain. As he's, he's thinking about the lion of the tribe of Judah who's worthy to open the seals. He begins to cry because he doesn't think there's anybody there that can open this scroll that you see in Revelation five. And then one of the elders pipes up and goes, no, no, there is one who was slain. His name is Jesus. He's worthy to come. He's worthy to open up. He's got all authority, all dominion, all power. Goes consistently along with Philippians chapter 2. It's this idea that Jesus has the ruling dominion and the power because God has granted him that authority. And so and then chapter Six, you got uh, this idea of the seals being opened. So seven seals on this scroll that has writing on the front and back. Chapter six that we covered last week and uh, as well as chapter seven, you got these scroll, this scroll, these seals being opened. And as they're open, uh, you've got all these things that are happening uh, along uh, the earth. And then you get uh, basically the seven seals, you get this panoramic view in chapter six of the things that are gonna come. So in this seven year period at the end, uh, of, of time. It's a tribulation period, a period that's uh, meant to bring judgment on people who've rejected God, but also, also to bring judgment upon this nation called Israel, who's rejected God. He's going to, you're going to see these seals open. And as you see the seals opened, uh, you see the power of God displayed. And it's going to be displayed in the seven-year period called the tribulation in a variety of ways. You're going to see war. You're going to see uh, destruction. You're going to see famine. You're going to see peril. You're going to see uh, pain. And all of this is going to be manifest in this seven-year period. And I'll tell you that as you, as you look at the seals, that's nothing compared to what's to come. But at the end of chapter 6, you get this break in chapter 7. And in chapter 7, before the last seal is open in, in chapter 8, verse 1, which we're going to look at in just a minute, you get this, uh, this picture of 144,000 Jews that are going to be sealed in this seven-year period. And all they're going to be sealed for is for God's purpose. And in the seven-year period where God is bringing about destruction and calamity, and war and famine and death and punishment. These 144, they're going to, thousand are going to preach. And when they preach, people are going to hear the good news and they're going to respond. So even in a seven year period where there's destruction, God is still going to show his mercy and there's going to be people preaching. Okay. And so it's going to be happening there. Got me? So now let me just take a, a real quick backup, just so you kind of have an understanding of this. Um, before we dive into chapter eight, the best way I can explain it is this, is that in the seven year period called the tribulation meant for the nation of Israel, there's going to be judgment. Some are going to come from God. Some are going to even come from satanic forces. Here's what I want you to know is that when that ensues, it's going to happen very similar to childbirthing. Okay. If you can remember ladies, uh, the very first time that you were 
we're pregnant, okay? For some of you in here, uh, you're pregnant now and you're expecting your first child. Some of you men in here, uh, you've never been pregnant. So all, all you can do is think about it, okay? Let me explain what happens in a pregnancy with your first one. Um, about three weeks before the child's born, uh, there's, there happens to be a couple of things happening and they're called contractions. And sometimes it happens a week out, two weeks out, three weeks out. You don't know exactly, but I'll tell you the very first pregnancy, you don't know exactly what they are. You just know something's not right. Okay. And so you, you pick up the phone and you call your spouse. You're like, Hey, this may be the day. And uh, you go to the doctor's office and uh, you're like, I think it's the day. And then you, they're like, well, you're having contractions, but they're once every 24 minutes and you're dilated to one. It's not happening today but you're already kind of worried about it. Like you can just feel the anxiousness of that. But as you're pregnant, contractions get harder. They get faster as the childbirthing period gets closer. And at some point they get so fast and so quickly and you dilate and you have a child. That's the idea. The seals are the picture that God has come. He's bringing judgment to the earth. It's the first contractions of sort in the seven year period. Then there's going to be trumpets and the contractions get stronger. And then there's going to be bold judgments at the very end. And they get faster and faster and faster. And it's going to be consistent. When the child's coming, it's going to come swiftly. And it's going to come quickly, but it starts slowly, gets a little faster, a little more systematic. And then, wow, here it all comes. That's the idea. So we saw last week, the seals are open. There's one last seal that's going to be open in chapter eight, verse one, we're going to look at, and then you're going to see from there, you're going to have trumpets. And when you have trumpets, you're going to get a little bit more intense. And then when you get to Revelation chapter 16, you're going to have what you call bold judgments. Those are the final full judgments of God. You got me? And they're going to come not only quickly, but swiftly and with totality, meaning he's not going to miss out on anything. Got me? So if you're here, you're like, oh man, what did I just come into? We're glad you're here. <laughs> and I hope that you have to go back and watch it again online. Uh, I hope that you have to check it out. I hope that, that you're not so smart that you get it all today. I hope that you have to think through it and ponder it. And I pray that God impresses upon our hearts what he really means. And so here we go. Uh, chapter eight, verse one. Uh, John says, when I saw the lamb, he opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And so according to chapter six, we saw six of the seals open. We saw this uh, brief time where 144,000 Jews are sealed. And then finally the seventh seal is open. And when that seventh seal is open, there is silence in heaven. Now I want you to realize this for just a second. If you can imagine silence in heaven, that is something that to my knowledge has never happened. And so you, you have no biblical expression or any other time where the angels have stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, even in chapter five, the, uh, you see there's going to be a new song that's going to be sang, and you're going to have elders singing a new song because of the lamb who was slain. And so there's always praise and adoration happening in the heavens. Even in this moment, as we read God's word and we seek to understand it, there's praise that is uh, inhabiting the throne and God is worthy of worship. Even as you were singing just a few moments ago, there are angelic beings and there are elders and people who've gone before us that are clothed in white robes and they are praising God and they are enjoying the presence of, of a holy God. Got me? Man, see, so if you can imagine this, you've got six seals that are open, and that final seven, there's 30 minutes in heaven in which there is total silence. The angels stop singing. The elders no, no longer sing. There are nobody, Christians that have gone on before us, there's nobody praising the Lord. It is in total silence. I don't know about you, but if that, 
there has never been a, an event like this in our Bible where there has been silence for, in heaven, a, a place of all of eternity, you might wonder what that 30 minutes is like. I bet it feels like forever. And so it's just total quietness. And I'll tell you, uh, anytime that you have this idea of a stillness, it means that there's probably something to come. And so you've got this stillness in heaven. And sure enough, verse two says, there is something to come. And so here it is. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets. And so John sees these seven angels and these seven trumpets. And uh, this, the, the idea of seven is the idea in a in sense of the, the perfection of God. But when you look at trumpets, you also not only have the perfection and the totality of God, but you also got victory. When, uh, when you would win a war in the Old Testament, you would blow your trumpets. Uh, and so these trumpets were given to these seven angels. And so John sees them. And it says in verse three, and another angel came and he stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. On the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense was the prayer of the saints that rose before God from the hand of the angel. So the idea here is what we saw in previous chapters is that there is, there is a, a golden scepter in which has the incense of God. And the incense of God is the prayers of the saints. And here's what it is. It is the same prayer that you and I may have prayed before. And so if you've ever experienced something in your life that was just really painful, and you might have prayed, God, would you just come? God, would you just... Would you just take me home? Would you just, would you just take care of all the things that are happening in my life? And, and God, ultimately, would you, just, would you just end it all? And would Jesus come? And can I just be with you and with those that I love? If you've ever prayed that, it's the idea that all of that is incense rising before God. And so God has been hearing this prayer from, from people for a long time. If you could imagine in Acts chapter 7, as I t- spoke about a couple of weeks ago, uh, you got a guy named Stephen who was one of the early church martyrs. Could you imagine his family saying, God, would you just come? Would you just send Jesus? Jesus has been gone for a very short period, but he's going, they're, they're, I'm sure their family's going, God, would you just vindicate the wrath of these people and, on what they did with Stephen? God, could you just come and make yourself known? Could you imagine that prayer? And for 2,000 plus years, there have been people in the early church on that must have been praying, God, would you just come? Could you imagine people in the Reformation? Could you imagine people in the Holocaust are just praying, God, would you just come? Would you just make things right? Would you just vindicate your purposes? Would you show your power? That's the same prayer that many of us have prayed and it's just incense rising for God. And God says, I have not forgot it. And so the idea is, is as these trumpets are blown, it's going to be the, the victory of God. And if you can think about the victory of God, there's another time where trumpets were blown. It reminds me of Jericho as God instructed the people of God. And he said, Hey, I want you to march around the city and I want you to do it for seven straight days. On the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And then you are to blow the trumpets. And when the trumpets of God are blown, it brings about victory. And guess what? The walls fall down and they go and they ransack the city and they take it. And and the people of Israel win. And so here's the idea. It's when the trumpets are blown, when all of this is kicked into motion, it's going to show you the power of God. Now, here's the deal. You and I may long for God to come and we may even think, God, you are so slow. God, why haven't you just come? Why haven't you just made things right? And here's what I want you to realize. God may be slow, but God's never late. 
God knows exactly the time in which he was come. And Jesus is patiently awaiting the day in which he will be handed the scroll. He'll actually go and take it from the throne. And when he does, he'll begin to slowly open the seals. And as he opens the seals, he'll get to the seven. There'll be silence in heaven. And then guess what? The childbirthing pains in that last seven years are going to get more intense. And you're going to have these trumpets that are going to begin to be blown. And as these trumpets are blown, you're going to see calamity on the earth. And God is going to take little peon people like you and I, and he's going to show them who's holy. Matter of fact, if you're having conversation with your friends, or maybe you're in, even in this room and you go, you know, I'm a little skeptical about God. I'm not really sure if he exists. Or maybe you've got a friend or you've got a cousin or you've got an aunt or an uncle or somebody that goes, you know, I'm not really sure that God exists. There will be no doubt that God exists when the seals are open and the trumpets are blown. And so what I mean by that is that if the tribulation were to kick into motion soon, I believe according to chapter four, uh, as well as other places in our Bible, that the church is going to be taken out, meaning raptured, and that there are going to be others that are here. And if you're here, you're going to see a seven-year tribulation period in which God is going to make himself known, and he's going to vindicate all the purposes of God on earth during this period of time. Okay, And so as he's doing so, there are some trumpets that are going to be blown. Verse 7 shows us what the first one is. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hell and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown into the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second seal, the second angel, or the second trumpet, the second angel blew it, and as he did, there was a great mountain burning with, vol- uh, with fire. It was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures and the uh, sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, a third angel blew his trumpet, and when he did, there was a great star that fell from heaven like a torch burning, and it fell on the third of the rivers, and a third of the springs of the water, and the name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many of the people died from the water because they had been made bitter. That's what Wormwood means. It literally just means bitter. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that the third of the light might be dark and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. And you read that and you go, okay, so is this literal? Is it metaphoric? Is it going to be like World War III? And there's a lot of different people that would, would believe different things. There are some people in here that you might even say, well, you know what? I think that's going to be like World War III. And, and it must mean that during this time, a third of the earth uh, is going to be destroyed and you're going to have helicopters and you're going to have what seems like sulfurs. They're fighting in midair. You're going to have aircraft. You're going to have destroyers. It's going to be World War III. And the answer is, is that really happening? And and my baby, there's going to be a World War III, but World War III is not how God's going to judge the earth. And so I take this very literally. I think just of the way that God brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to bring judgment in these last days. And you go, well, how is he going to do it? Well, it seems that he's going to do it the same way that he did it with Pharaoh. You remember these God-sized things. He takes uh, rivers and he turns the Nile to blood. Uh, he brings about locusts and plagues. And he goes, hey, Pharaoh, you going to get your, can I get your attention? And Pharaoh goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I- I'm going to do exactly what you say. And then t- Pharaoh would take his word back. He'd go, oh, never mind. I'm not going to do what you say. And finally, God brings about 10 plagues. He brings about frogs and gnats and blood and all these different things. He finally gets to the last one. He goes, okay, I'm going to take your firstborn son. And if you're not going to follow me, and finally he gets Pharaoh's attention. And it says in, in, uh, in our Old Testament that Israel goes uh, and they're free. Pharaoh lets them go. And then Pharaoh and his army decide, you know what? Let's go follow them. Let's chase them down. That would be a good idea. And so they go. And according to our Bible, you have the Red Sea that is opened up. And, and according to our Bible, the Red Sea is parted and then swallows all the Egyptians that follow. 
And there are some people that go, you know, I just don't think there was a God-sized thing. I don't think that God really parted the Red Sea. There's another sea uh, that's close in the area. It's called the Reed Sea. I think they went to the Reed Sea and I think that's how it was because the Reed Sea is only about a foot of water. And I think that's how they crossed. Okay, take the Reed Sea. I don't care if you take Red Sea or Reed Sea. What's more incredible, God drowning thousands and thousands and thousands of Egyptians in a foot of water or him parting the Red Sea. Either way, it's an incredible God-sized type event. You got me? And so what I believe, I believe that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Egyptians, possibly not numbering up to a million Egyptians were killed by God's sovereignty in some sort of incredible event that happened. It's not metaphorical. It is literal. I believe it happened. I believe that if those events were literal in all all of our Bible, I believe that Jericho's walls fell down when people of God were obedient when they blew their trumpets. I believe the same here. I believe that according to verse seven, God is going to bring a pillar of hell and fire mixed with blood, and he is going to destroy a third of land on the earth. Green grass and fields are going to be burned up. According to the second one, uh, as it's blown, it's going to bring about burning with fire and it's going to be thrown in the sea. And a third of the sea, a third of the creatures in the sea are going to be destroyed. A third of the shipping is going to be destroyed. When you get to verse 10, it shows that there's going to be a blazing torch. It's going to fall and a third of the rivers are going to be destroyed. By why? They're going to be turned to wormwood. They're going to be turned to bitterness. And anybody that drinks them are going to die. The idea is a third, a third, a third. And then if that's not enough, a third of... The ecosystem's gone. Now a third of of what you know as far as the galaxies and the solar system are now gone. And a third of the light of the day is gone. And a third of the sun and the moon is gone. The idea is this, is that even in all of these judgments, God is still gracious. He could have just wiped it all out. And when you get to the bold judgments, he's going to. He's going to literally peel it all back. He's going to wipe it all out. But now God is still even patient. Even in the seven years, he's going, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to me. I'm going to give you a chance to follow me. And so he is gracious and he is patient. He is merciful because instead of a a half, he does a third. Instead of three quarters, he does a third. Instead of all, he does a third. He is merciful even in the midst of this. But here's the deal. We have been battling this since the beginning of time, even in Romans 1, Romans 1 is an indication, verses 20 and following. Listen, even though they see God, they don't believe God. They don't trust God. God gives man over to what he wants. And so time and time and time again, you will see throughout the scripture that if you don't trust God, if I don't trust God, then he'll eventually hand you over to what you want to do. And if you want to do what you want to do, then hey, go and have it up. And that's what Pharaoh wanted. Pharaoh wanted to do what he wanted to do. And so you go, well, how in the world is it that God uh, just won't draw all men to himself? And the bottom line is God can't draw a hardened man to himself because sometimes we just relent against the purposes of God. And here it is, you're going to see people who do not want the purposes of God. Got it? Matter of fact, the last verse in this, verse 13, it says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth and the blast of other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And listen, this isn't a Brandon back to woe, like, whoa, isn't God so good? It's not that, okay? This is woe, woe, woe. You think the first four are bad. You think a third of the earth being destroyed by land, a third of the seas, a third of the rivers, a third of the galaxies being destroyed is bad. No, you don't want to be a part for the last three because it's getting more intense. It's getting more severe. The end is closer. And so that's the idea here. Woe to those who see it. And it's all going to be kicked in 
when that seventh seal is open. And if you caught this, this is what happens. There's 30 minutes of heaven. The prayers of all the saints that have been rising for all these centuries, an angel's going to take it and he's going to spike it on the earth. And after 30 minutes, you're going to have a touchdown in heaven. And when you do, you go, God is on his throne. Now let's celebrate. And what's happening, he's going to spike it on the earth and everything is going to get more intense. And so you got a third, a third, a third, a third destroyed. And then you finally get to these last three trumpet judgments. And I want you to see that these trumpet judgments are going to, they're going to shift and they're not going to be God-sized judgments. They're going to shift to another person another person who has some authority, though it is limited. And it seems to be, according um, to chapter 9, verse 1, this person is going to have a, a key, and he's going to have a key to what's called in the scripture a bottomless pit. And so wh whoever this person is, which I think we'll ad identify in just a second, is not God, is separate than God, is totally distinct, and has a different purpose. And so here it is in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. You've seen the first four trumpets blown. You've got three more to come. You think the first Verse four, bad. Well, here we go. Here's, here it is. In verse one, it says, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key of the shaft to the bottomless pit. Okay, a star fallen from heaven. And the question is, what is that? Is that a literal star? Is that, is that something different? It's fallen from heaven. Well, here's the deal. If it's a literal star in the sense of a star fell from heaven, like you see in the galaxies and the trumpet judgment four, when... Okay, if it's one of those stars, then how do you give a star a key? Okay, so I don't think it's a little star. It does remind us a whole lot of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. This is what he says. I encourage you to write it down. You can go look it up later. But he says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you have been cut to the ground and you have laid the nations low. In, in Isaiah chapter 14, as well as Ezekiel chapter 28, you see the, the prophets talking about one who, who has authority and some dominion on the earth. And his name is Lucifer or Satan. He is the morning star, O star of dawn. He is a star that was fallen. And what does that mean? He, was, he fell from heaven. And why? Because he rebelled against God and God boots him out of heaven. He has fallen. He has some authority. He has some power. And apparently he's going to be given a key. And the question is, key to what? Well, verse one says the bottomless shaft, some sort of, the, some sort of place, a, a pit of sorts. Verse two, it says that he takes the key. He opens the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft now rose smoke and the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were dark with the smoke from the shaft. So wherever this shaft is, it seems to be somewhere a place of dominion uh, and a place that, that's gloomy darkness. And there seems to be some sort of smoke that rises when the, the, the doors are open. Now, here's the deal. This means that it hasn't happened yet. It's Revelation 9. And so uh, because Jesus hadn't come back for his people, the church, because uh, uh, Jesus hadn't opened the seven seals, this hasn't happened. But even if it hasn't happened, it means that there's a place right now, apparently of gloomy darkness, and somebody is there. The question is, is who is it? Well, throughout your Bible, you'll see several different instances. I'm going to give you a couple of texts to go read because I don't have a time to, to do it now. Last summer, I touched on it quite a bit uh, as we were diving through the book of, uh, of, of uh, 2 Peter. Uh, but here's the deal. I want you to realize real quickly that this is something you should study. And, and a lot of churches have never taught too much about it. You might have read it. You might have wondered about it. But if you read the book of Jude, uh, which is one chapter, really long and lengthy, right? If you read it, you'll see it mentioned. Uh, if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 6, you're going to see something mentioned. If you read uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, you're going to see something mentioned. It's mentioned all throughout your Bible, okay? Okay. Uh, 
but you have to pay attention to it. And so here's what it is, okay? I'm gonna give you a real quick rundown on it. Uh, there's a thing, matter of fact, if you go and Google search it this afternoon, you'll be intrigued by it, but you could just Google search this word called Nephilim, okay? And so Nephilim are, uh, seem to be giant-sized people, we don't know exactly a whole lot about it, but uh, I do know there's archaeological evidence for Nephilim. I believe Nephilim existed. Where do you see them? You see them happen to, uh, in Genesis chapter 6. And, and what the idea that Jude gives us, that Peter gives us, uh, that Genesis 6 gives us, is that there was a time in history where before the flood of the earth, that angelic beings left their proper abode, and in their evilness, they decided they were going to lay with the daughters of man, meaning women. So you got angelic beings with earthly beings trying to do something that would create Zeus, okay? And you're like, was that real? Well, apparently in Genesis chapter 6, though I can't wrap my head around it, something like that was real. But here's what God did, right off. He goes, no, no, no. We are not having heavenly creatures that have usurped God's authority or now evil, not doing what they're supposed to, going to be wrapping themselves around women. That is unnatural and strange flesh. And so because there's strange flesh, there's judgment. And God brings about a flood and he wipes away Nephilim and evil in the world. And he goes, I'm going to have to start over. So he takes Noah and his family, puts him on a boat. And he goes, let me do this over again. Why? Because people are inherently evil and apparently in the angelic realm, there is there evil as well. And so God goes, you know what? Because you did what you did, I've got a special place for angels like you, and I'm going to lock you up. And he creates this bottomless pit, apparently. You go, now, come on. Is that a little far-fetched? You go, Maybe. Okay, that's cool. But here's the, one of my favorite stories in Mark chapter 5, and then you see it in Luke chapter 8. You've got Jesus going, and he's going to go to this guy. He's a garrison demoniac. And in this story, it's a story about a guy who lives in a cave, and ultimately he cuts himself, and he's chained, and he breaks out of the chains, and everybody's scared of him. And Jesus is going to go to this guy. And when Jesus gets to him, he goes, hey, what's your name? And the guy doesn't respond. It is apparently the demonic forces do. And they go, we are legion for we are many. And then Jesus asks them in Luke chapter 8, what do you want me to do with you? And they go, whatever you do, here it is, okay? Verse 30, uh, he, they go, what's your name? They say, legion for the many demons that enter them. They go, they beg Jesus, please do not depart us into the abyss. Whatever you do, don't send us to the bottomless pit. You got that? That's the idea. And so Jesus goes, okay, that's fine. He throws them off into a, a herd of pigs in which they run off into the river and they drown. They do the first swine dive in all of history, okay? There it is. And so there it is. They drown and they're gone. Second Peter says something similar in verse four. He says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, got it? Genesis six, angels sinned. If he didn't spare them then, but cast them into hell, and he uses this word only found one time in all your Bible, and it's the Greek word Tartarus. The idea, this gloomy darkness. And, he con and then he says, and he committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. That's what Peter writes. So there was a Jewish belief that something happened in Genesis 6 with angels and man. God took them, put them in a place, and all the other angelic beings that had gone against God go, please don't send us there. And that is a Jewish belief that's been consistent even to this day. Y'all got this idea? You're like, this is crazy. I'm like, that's why you should read your Bible, because it really is awesome.
And so here it is. They are, they're chained, apparently. But at the end of day, when that fifth trumpet blows, Satan, Diablos, the accuser, is going to go and he's going to unlock this bottomless pit. And listen, friends, if you think hell and, and fire from heaven is bad, wait until that shaft is open. And you think smoke is, is a little crazy, is it dark as the sun? No, no, the smoke is nothing. Look what comes out of it. Here it is, verse three. Y'all ready? Because I'm about to fly. And from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So even in this, God still has a sovereign purpose. He's going to allow some authority to Satan and his beings, but he tells them, listen, because of my power and because I am always on the throne and you have no power except what I give you, he goes, you are not to touch anything that's alive on the earth. Why? Because a third, a third, a third, a third has already been destroyed. And he goes, I've already taken care of that. You don't touch anything that's green or that's living. So the idea is they're not real locusts. Okay. Meaning they're not locusts. They're going to come and eat the earth. The idea of is they're, they're locusts for something different. Matter of fact, Old Testament, you didn't want a locust plague. If you had a locust plague, here's what locusts do. They come and they hover around for five months. They eat everything and then they leave. And you got nothing. You got a barren wasteland. And you didn't, you would love anything like, you know, turn the river to blood for a little while. Just don't send locusts. You got me? Send some frogs. I'm cool with frogs, but just don't send locusts. Why? Because locusts eat and destroy all of it. So here it is. They have the appearance of a locust, but they cannot touch anyone who has been sealed. Who has been sealed? 144,000 Jews for his purposes. And so here is you can't touch them and you cannot touch anything that's alive. And then the idea here too is that you cannot kill anybody. Verse five says all they can do, all they were allowed to do was torment them, people for five months, but not to kill them. You got that? And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been stung by a scorpion, it stinks, Okay, when I was a kid, I was stung like four times. Okay, I was picking up some rocks and they literally just wore me out. You got me? It's horrible. Now, could you imagine this idea of the stinging scorpions? And you're like, I don't even know what that looks like, but it doesn't sound pleasant. It's not. So here it is. For five months, you've got these angelic beings that are evil and corrupt and have been put in chains of gloomy darkness who are now unleashed and they're going throughout the earth for a five-month period and they are tormenting people. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound fun, right? And you're like, whoa, I do hope there's a rapture and I hope I'm not a part of it. Amen. But look what verse six, and it says, and in those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. You remember, God goes, you were commanded to, you can torment for five months, but you cannot kill them. They are tormented for five months. And you know what they're going? They're saying, please kill me. Do anything, just kill me. Put me out of my misery. This is terrible. For five months, they're tormented and they want death and death flees from them. Now, let me just give you a quick time out because you may not wrap your head around that, this completely, but let me, let me help you wrap your head around something. There are so many people in this day and age and they may claim to be agnostic or atheist or maybe they just don't align with you. Maybe they claim to be Christian. I, I don't know, but here's the deal. Anybody who does not know God 
and ultimately has not been saved by the great work of Jesus and his salvation offered by his bloodshed on the cross is ultimately an enemy of God. You are not a friend of God, you're an enemy of God. And what the scripture says is that one day he is going to vindicate his purposes and he is either gonna do it when you take your last breath on earth and you ultimately are sent to a place called hell or if you live through this time, it seems like it's going to be a pretty miserable experience in which you're going to see God and you're going to see him face to face. And even in your rebellion, you're going to wish to die and you're not going to die. Now, I don't know about you, but who do you hate so much that you would want them to experience this? I mean, is there really anybody on earth that has done such bad to you that you're like, I would love for them to be tormented by the enemy for Satan for five months. And I'll tell you this, if you think there's a person, then your heart apparently is not aligned with God. You cannot claim to be of God. God says, if you love me, then you'll show it because you're one of my disciples. If you love God and yet you hate somebody so much that you would want them to experience five months of torment, you are not God's child. You need to hear that now and you need to heed that as a warning and an admonition that you are not God's if you hate somebody so much that you would want them to experience hell or for that matter, five months of torment. You cannot be God's and desire that. I don't care what anybody's done to you. You are not God's person and his child if you would want somebody else to experience it. You need to note that now as a warning. And if you're okay, I wouldn't want anybody to experience that Then listen to me then why don't you tell people about Jesus now? Because there is a day when his wrath is coming and it will be revealed. And when it is, it will be too late for many. That's why we exist as the church. I don't exist as the church to take you through an incredibly difficult book that most of you here go, I don't understand that. And you leave and you're confused and you're like, I don't even really know what he said. The goal is not to give you more knowledge. The goal is to give you a better understanding about why we should be the church now, about why it matters that we're here, about why it matters to live in community, to be people of faith, to be people that are authentic and real, that have devote to Jesus daily, and that we do something with our life that matters, that our best life is not now, that it is to come. That this is not the dream. This is not the American dream. What? No, the dream is to come. We live as people. We are aliens and strangers of the world. We've been called out of darkness of the wonderful light of Jesus. We are his. We should make a difference now. That's what the church is about. Listen, I'll tell you, if that's what you think it's about, I think this is the place for you. If you think the church is about anything else, I plead with you, please, 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 please go somewhere else. Because there is too much at stake for us to just casually approach this thing. As if, oh yeah, God's, yeah, he's, he's okay. Now listen, God is holy and is sovereign and he is going to judge. And when he does, it's going to be miserable. Matter of fact, in verse seven through uh, eight, it, it really through nine, it tells you exactly what they're, they're gonna look like. And the idea is this, that they're not gonna be spirits and they're not gonna be helicopters. What it shows is this, their appearance, the locusts, they were like horses prepared for battle. It's gonna be an army of them. On their heads, they, they look like they're crowns of gold. They're gonna have some authority. Their faces were like human faces. It means they have intellect and will and emotions. They're, they're beings. They're not just spirits. They, they're like hair, like women's hair. I, I, it kind of gives you the idea that they're like the Canaanites, the wild people. They're gonna be wild, rebellious people. They're gonna have teeth like the lion's teeth. I don't know about you, but I do not wanna see one of them. <laughs> And if you're dating somebody that looks like that, you probably should change something up, right? Verse nine, they had a breastplate like breastplate of iron. The noise, their wings were like the noise of many chairs. The horses rushing into battle. The idea is they're gonna come with fury. They're gonna have tails. Verse 10, that sting like scorpions. Their power is gonna be hurt people. And they're gonna do it for five months. 
they have the king over them. It's the angel of the bottomless pit, the angel, the chief one. Look what his name is. In Hebrew, it's Abaddon. In the Greek, he is called Apollyon. Uh, two similar names. One of them, the Old Testament, Abaddon just means destruction. And Apollyon means destroyer. Almost synonymous terms. of This is the adversary. This is Diabolos. This is Satan. He is the one who wants to destroy. Isn't that John chapter 10? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God is trying to protect you. He wants to be your good shepherd. He wants you to hear his voice and follow him. When you don't follow him, then guess what? You're liable to fall into the hands of the destroyer. Verse 12 says, oh, woe, the first has passed. Behold, there are two woes that are still to come. The first woe sounds absolutely horrific. What do you mean there's two to come? Verse 13 says, the sixth angel then blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so here it is. There seems to be four other angels who have authority and they're at the great river Euphrates and they're about to unleash something. And so it says the four angels, verse 15, who had been prepared for the day, for the hour, for the month, the year were released to kill a third of the mankind. And so here it is, as if those five months of torment weren't enough, there's gonna be four angels holding it all back and finally there's gonna be authority, there's gonna be a trumpet blown and it goes, okay, here it is. And they're gonna see a quarter of the earth dead. So you've already had, uh, <clears throat> I mean, a third of the, the earth dead. You've already had a quarter of the earth destroyed. You got another third that's gonna be killed. And how is it going to happen? It seems it's going to be some sort of war. Verse 16 says the number of mounted troops was twice times 10,000 times 10,000. And I heard that number. So John hears this number. It's going to be twice times 10,000 times 10,000. And so if you do some math, it means that there's going to be 200 million mounted troops and there's going to be destruction. And this is how I saw the horse in my vision, those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. And on their heads of the horses were like lion's heads and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. And you're like, okay, this could be helicopters. I, I, I don't know what it looks like. I can just tell you it's going to be a war of, of epic proportion. Verse 18 says, by these three plagues, a third of the earth was, of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke of the sulfur coming out of their mouths for the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails for their tails are like the serpents with heads and by the means of them with they wound. Now here's the deal. God's going to bring authority and power and he is going to allow the adversary to have power. It's going to be limited for a time. And then there's going to be death and destruction in this seven-year period. All of which I believe if you read your Bible and you read Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 11, uh, in places like Ezekiel chapter 38, I think you're going to see that it's all going to come after the three and a half year point. So in the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be three and a half years of peace. And then there's going to be three and a half years in case you haven't noticed, all hell is going to break loose. And you can walk away today and you go, hey, did our pastor just say that all hell's going to break loose? Yes. And you need to pay attention because when it does, there's going to be torment and there's going to be power and dominion and God is going to try to get the attention of people. And as he seeks to get attention, I think the most sad verses maybe in all of your Bible are here in verse 20. It says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of their hands nor did they give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Instead of meeting a God who speaks and who longs to hear you and who hears every prayer that rises even now as incense before the throne, some people would rather trust in silver and bronze and stone and wood and things that do not speak back to you. Idols. And they would not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. 
bottom line is this, is that God's going to bring judgment. It's going to be horrific. And there are going to be many people in that day who do not repent. And all they're going to say is to the rocks, would you just crush me? Would you just kill me? Would you just put me out of my misery? And it's going to be a horrific time. I don't know about you. I can't wrap my head around every part of this and what it all looks like. I do believe it's literal. I do believe it's going to happen. I also believe this. I would not want anybody I know or love to experience it. And so I, I tell you about this, this happening at the end of days, simply that we would make our days here count and really matter. Can I get an amen? amen. And so may we leave here and make the most of our days. Hebrews 10, 25, may we spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Have you heard me say that over the last few weeks? Spur each other on, remind each other, admonish one another, remind us all, why are we doing this? Why are we showing up on a Sunday? Is it so we hear some teaching that none of us can understand? No, I, if you didn't understand anything, would you understand this? There's a God in heaven who loves you, who sent his son for you, who wants a relationship with you, who wants to save you from hell and condemnation. He wants a relation with you and he wants you to know him and he wants to be known by you. That's why we're here. And so may we tell other people about it. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. I pray you would make the most of our time. I pray you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. And I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten us. God, help us to understand this. Um, not because it intrigues us, but that we would see your power and we would see your authority and we would see that you are the God of all things. That if you spoke it all in, th in the beginning, uh, that you can speak in an instant and these things happen. And so God, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to see you in your fullness, that the glory of God might be revealed to us. In Jesus' name, amen.